Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. This is the start of season 12. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 488 for September 11th, 2019. On today's show, saxophonist Noah Preminger. This show is supported by its members, without whom the jazz session would not even be possible. I'm trying hard to make this show and my other podcast, which is called A Brief Chat, into my living, and you can help me do that by joining today at thejazzsession.com slash join. There's also a brand new membership tier. It used to be that there was only a $5 level, and now there's also a $10 level, which will get you even more bonus episodes each month. I'll tell you more about that during the show. Noah Preminger's forthcoming record is Zigsaw, Music of Steve Lampert. It's a 49-minute piece, it's absolutely wonderful, and it begins like this. Welcome back to the show, Noah Preminger, whose newest album, uh, and you have to specify that because he's released about 50 in the last uh, year or so, it seems like, (laughs) is called Zigsaw, music of Steve Lampert. Noah, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for being here. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks, Jason. I just want to uh, say quickly at the top, because otherwise I'll forget, that there's an interview with Steve uh, himself, although not about this album, but a previous work of his also in the Jazz Session archives, and there's a previous interview with Noah. So if folks want to fill in some more of uh, either of their stories, you can go to the archives and do that whenever you like. So this new album is its incredibly exciting. Uh, I, I just love it. And it was not, I did not know what to expect. And it was not what I was expecting, and it it's just absolutely stunning and wonderful to listen to. And I think it's probably Thanks. I don't know. I would maybe it's not what some people would expect from you. I don't know if that's fair or not. But I, I guess how do you how do you see it kind of fitting into what what you've been up to recently? These are players that I really really love. I think they're some of the most incredible improvisers in the world and people I really admire just as artists. Steve is, is a very dear friend of mine. I'm a huge fan of his work. I've recorded on two of his records, so I'm really familiar with his music. And, you know, in terms of what somebody might expect, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've done a whole slew of different projects and there's really no, you know, one direction i think that i've really kind of been trying to go in this is just uh, steve and i were talking a few years back about doing a project together i asked him if he would write something and he was very excited to do it and, and wrote this really magical piece 
I told them the players that I had in mind, sort of the instrumentation. And I'm, I'm extremely excited. This is like one of the most exciting projects I've ever been a part of. And it comes out soon. I'm really pumped. So uh, folks are going to get to hear, luckily, little bits of this throughout our interview so that they'll have some audio idea in their head of what we're talking about, because trying to describe it, I think, is challenging. But uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's swinging. It's jazz, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's jazz music with, with awesome improvisation and just like really forward thinking writing by Steve. And so, I mean, it, it sounds like a jazz record, I think. the things I like is that it has a really broad palette of sounds that are involved. Um, can you say something about that? And particularly, I guess, about the electronic elements, which I, I think are really cool. So that's something I've, I've never really gone into as, an, as a composer. Um, I write at the piano. Um, I've never written at the computer. And so this is Steve's composition. This is like his baby. And so this is my first record improvising along with an electronics track, I guess, to this extent. And so Steve composed this piece. It, it ended up being around 50 minutes long, but it, it, it basically has a number of subsections and within each one of these sections uh, are various parts. There's a fantasy section, which sounds like it's floating out of time, but it's actually in time. Then there's another section, which is sort of like an open blowing section where different combinations of players improvise together. And that's, in time basically as well and swinging and then there's like a refrain of the melody that occurs at the beginning of each one of these sections so essentially you could almost see it as two groups at the same time performing together there's this electronics group i guess you could say combined with with the jazz group which is a sextet septet i mean the whole thing was composed and then we kind of mixed and mastered the electronics portion of the record and then brought that into the studio with, with all the cats and kind of played along with that to a certain extent. So, yeah, it was really exciting, man. Steve is a really, really incredible composer and really innovative to my eyes and my ears. So 
this is really cool using those, you know, hearing those electronic sounds. And Rob Schwimmer, who's an amazing pianist and theremin player, and uh, he plays uh, Hawking Continuum on the record, which is kind of a new thing for me. Um, I don't know what that is. It's, um, I'm going to explain it really poorly, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it looks like a keyboard um, without the keys, kind of. And it, it's the way it was used on this project was as a textural component where you, you can hear it while we're improvising in the open blowing sections. There's different sounds, but, you know, in one part it might sound like, uh, uh, you know, kind of like behind the blowing or with the blowing. It sort of adds like this other layer of texture to the whole improvisation. <laughs> so my ears, the the repeating melody that pops up throughout the piece that Steve wrote, sounds like it maybe took a little time in the woodshed to get down. <laughs> yeah, that was that was months of working on that melody. Basically, I mean, when I improvise, I, I love to use the whole horn. And when Steve wrote this melody, I think maybe he had that that in mind. So. Yeah, he wrote this really angular, beautiful melody that I worked super hard <laughs> to play. And actually, when we recorded, I mean, I can play it straight down. And in fact, I'm going to have to when we play some live performances in early 2020. But just to get every note to speak perfectly, I wanted to do it in, in little segments. So, you know, we took a little while in the studio to really make sure that each one of the phrases spoke clearly. So you hear that on the record. Because of the way this piece begins and ends, when I've listened to it each time, it's it. I don't know if this sounds ridiculous, but it kind of forms a circle in my mind. Like I can imagine taking the piece and bending it around so the beginning and end touch, and then it just becomes this endless thing that keeps going. Uh, it it feels like when it ends, it feels like oh okay, let's listen to it again because it seems like it should just begin again <laughs> in this really cool way. I think it's in addition to all of the improvisation and everything. I think structurally the piece is really interesting to listen to and really holds up under repeated listening. Yes, and I think that would make Steve very happy that you said that. Um, it's 
it's like a i mean i won't speak to the composition itself too much because that's sort of steve's zone but i will say this is like a real piece of like a true piece of music um, like a real composition that has like a lot of thought into it <laughs> i mean steve worked on this for years in the liner notes I asked Steve if he would write an explanation, a, a, a basic explanation of the composition itself. So if you take a, a, a look at the, at the liner notes, you can sort of get an idea of what the composition's about, where he came from when he composed it. It's meant to be sort of like this hallucinogenic dream, basically. I think it's really magical. I think, uh, I think people will dig it. But yes, it, it does have a circular kind of feeling, and Steve has talked about that with me before to some extent. I know it, in some things I do in my own life, for example, in writing, that sometimes when you impose restrictions, you can find greater freedom. And I wonder in the case of you guys recording with at least some music that already existed, you know, you mentioned kind of a, a, a track that for some of the piece you, you play along with, did that did that allow you to or cause you to explore your playing in maybe ways that you wouldn't have if it were all live in the moment? It sort of is live in the moment for this record. It's interesting. This Steve's process is different than like just going into the studio and doing like, you know, three takes of it, like a tune that you like to play or that you wrote like for your cat, you know, it's a different process. So for Steve's, the last two records that I recorded on with Steve, we would go in John O'Gallagher, who's one of my favorite saxophone players in the world. And I were like the featured soloists on the records on those last two. So John and I would hear part of the track along with the drummer playing ride and more or less just hear the bass line and just blow. And those pieces weren't tied to a specific key necessarily. It was more about feeling and vibe at the time. So that was like one way to do it. And, and it's really cool. And it kind of brings certain things out of you and as an improviser, as, you know, that maybe you wouldn't be playing if you're playing all, like all the things you are, for example. Sure. This record, I can't speak for the other players because I had gotten a huge taste of the music before them when they walked into the studio. Although they had they had heard some of the music and gotten some of the sheet music before, but this was like in terms of blowing, you kind of got a lead in from this kind of vamp-like section that sets up the open blowing sections. So you kind of get a taste of what's to come from this vamp and then you release the hounds and and so like i was saying before there were different combinations of players on each section so one section may be uh for the open blowing sections it may be tenor bass and drums another one may be just alto and drums another one may be piano trumpet and drums and then for those free blowing sections i mean sorry the fantasy sections which are incorporate a lot more of the electronic sounds where quarter note actually equals 120 throughout it, but there's nothing actually marking that time, so you would maybe not even notice. Those have little kind of like cells of notes, uh, pitches that float by that you can read or not read. I mean, I chose not to to read those those groups of, of notes and just kind of play more by ear. But yeah, I mean, just kind of what that brings out of you is a different uh, approach, I guess, than again, playing over a tune or just playing like time note changes with like head, blowing head out or something it's a totally different thing but um i didn't feel personally restricted necessarily in this in this situation it was sort of like also playing with these other improvisers who are so inspiring you know brings things out of you anyway that you you wouldn't necessarily play 
Yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I didn't feel restricted. I've never really felt restricted on any of Steve's music, which is really cool. Let's take a break from the music to talk about membership. I've been recording conversations with musicians since 2007. I think it's important work that deserves public support, and I'd also like to be able to do it for my living. If you agree that the Jazz Session is worth supporting, you can become a member today at thejazzsession.com join, and you now have two membership levels to choose from. At $5 a month, you will get a monthly bonus episode, you'll get early access to every show, and you'll get a yearly thank you gift from me. At $10 a month, you'll get all of those things, plus you'll also get access to an additional monthly bonus episode in which a guest and I dive into a classic jazz recording. So there's the $5 and the $10 level. You can find both of those at thejazzsession.com join. Now back to the show. kind of gave me a nice segue into asking you to mention who else is on this record because they are just all brilliant improvisers and deserve to be mentioned. Cool. So, trumpet player is Jason Palmer. Jason's on my last maybe five records or so. On uh, alto is John O'Gallagher. He's one of my favorite saxophone players in the world. He's super bad. And he's also been on a couple of Steve's records as well. Pianist is Chris Davis and bass player is Kim Cass. Rob Schwimmer plays clavinet and Hawking Continuum, and Rudy Royston's the drummer, and Steve wrote all the music, and I play tenor on the record. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, it's just an amazing ensemble full of some of my favorite players, and I know a lot of these people are you know, kind of a regular uh, cohort for you. I, I wanted to ask particularly yeah. about Chris and Kim and and Rudy as a as a rhythm section and, and I guess maybe what you look for in the people who are laying down the foundation. I'll start with Rudy. Rudy swings his ass off, and so when I was talking to Steve about musicians, you know, we both had some input on who we'd like or who we thought would be great for his music. And criteria for a drummer was somebody who could swing like hell, can really open up and kind of go anywhere with it you know isn't restricted by like maybe playing super straight ahead or you know more on the kind of avant-garde uh side of it rudy kind of was the perfect person for it because he can go anywhere he's got a groove that's uh he's got a really really great pocket so for some of the groove sections like where the melody happens or the um the vamp sections his pocket felt really great 
so Rudy was 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 an awesome idea for the record. Kim is one of a kind. He has a really really crystal clear tone, which was perfect for some of the parts. As a technician on the bass, he's sick, and he's my homie. I've known Kim since college. And Chris, we played together in a number of different contexts, some straight-ahead kind of stuff, some freer stuff. This wouldn't shock Chris, this type of music. You know, she's sort of dabbled in all sorts of different kinds of stuff, from stuff that's more left to center to whatever. And she's great. So that was kind of like a dream team, amazing rhythm section. And it was easy. I mean, there were no problems in the studio at all. It was like, cool, let's do this. You know? <laughs> uh, and I'll just uh, mention once more that uh, Chris has also been on the show, and you folks can look in the archives and find that interview. I, I want to step away from this record for just a minute because there's uh, so much to talk about, but I do want to come back to it at the end. But in the last the last several years, you have released, I don't know, half half dozen records. You also recently released Preminger Plays Preminger. There was the Chopin Project. Let's see if I can remember all these. Genuinity came out not too long ago. And as you said, kind of at the beginning of this interview, there's not a particular direction. It, these things all explore different, I don't know, I guess maybe different facets of who you are. I think you you remain you through all of these projects. But I just wanted to ask you about uh, I guess maybe the volume of your recording, it seems like you have a lot to say these days and a lot of different, a lot of different sources through which you want to say those things. You know, it, it really depends on, I mean, there's a couple of different way, reasons to make a record. One is like a passion project, something you really, really want to do. For example, like the Chopin record, I really wanted to start a band called the Dead Composers Club. And I really wanted to do it with my dear friend, Rob Garcia, who's a great drummer, where we find composers that we really, really love who are dead and basically rework their music, uh, their compositions for like a jazz kind of setting. I mean, basically, I was listening to Chopin one night and I was listening to his preludes and nocturnes and I'm like, damn, I need to record this. I love this stuff. And so that's kind of how that came to be. And, and so we just did it, you know. There's other records that, you know, obviously I want to make or I wouldn't make them. But like, you know, like, for example, for Crisscross, Jerry Teakins, who, who owns Crisscross, called me and said, you know, no, I love your playing. Would you like to make a record for me in three weeks? You know, so um, <laughs> I had to quickly write for that first record, Genuinity. And then I did another one for him this year. I think it came out in February or March. Uh, that was called Afterlife. And I didn't have much time to write for that either. So there's sort of records that like, you know, for a record label that, uh, so it's just sort of a different thing. So you're writing for that like specific occasion that you're hired to, to perform or to record for. And then there's projects like Lampert's record, which is like, you know, super dear to me. That Preminger record. In fact, I played a couple of nights ago at the Jazz Standard with that band. That was with Jason Moran and Kim on bass and Tyshawn Sori on drums and sort of celebrating the release of this Preminger plays Preminger music that I recorded for Nouvelle Records. And that's a record that I wanted to make for like a decade, where basically I took a bunch of Otto Preminger films that I liked and hit mute on different scenes and sort of like wrote themes for them. And then half the record is also, uh, are just like my arrangements of some of the theme songs from, from his movies. And you and he are so like a, cousins, right? Like kind of distant cousins, is that... Accurate. Distant cousins, yeah. yeah. My, my, 
I'm under the impression that my great grandfather and he were first cousins in okay. Chernowitz, which is like Romaniesque kind of area. So um, it's not even about as much about the relationship or is that I kind of like I like his, some of his movies and yeah, we share a last name, so that's cool too. <laughs> but also Duke Ellington, you know, scored one of them. So we did an arrangement of way early subtone from Anatomy of a Murder. I mean, I'm not like a movie buff or anything, uh, or even really an auto parameter buff. I just, I watched a whole crap load of his movies and I picked the ones that I love the most. I found some really beautiful scenes that inspired me to write melodies for them. I don't know about day to day, but generally speaking, what's your life like as a performer these days? Are you spending a lot of time on the road? Are you uh, in the studio a lot? Are you writing a lot? Are you doing all of those things all the time? What's it like for you these days to be a musician? It fluctuates. I mean, this fall and winter, I'm super busy. Well, I live in Boston, first of all. I lived in New York City for a, a pretty solid chunk of time. Um, and it drove me insane. And so I basically just decided that I needed to get the hell out of there. And I moved to, I was lived in Spain for a little bit. And then I moved back to ba- to Boston to get a, uh, a master's degree. And it's close enough to New York city where you don't have to, you know, be close to New York city, <laughs> you know? And you can still come in, you know, I go, I go down every couple of weeks to perform or play with people or whatever. So, um, you know, the drive is, is a drag, but the quality of life in Boston is really nice. But on the other hand, now I've sort of come to the point where Boston isn't the right place for me anymore. So uh, I'm actually moving back to New York City oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, in a few months. Look, man, there's no perfect places, no. you know, as everybody knows, <laughs> there's no perfect place to live. And I'm getting married next month. So that adds another layer to, to things. And um, so we're going to move back to New York. Thank you. So we're moving back to New York and um, I'm excited to, to be surrounded by um, inspiring players again. And you mentioned that early in 2020, you'll be touring some of the music uh, from this latest project, Zigsaw, right? Yes. 
Actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Europe with my band that recorded for Crisscross with Dan Weiss and Kim Cass and Jason Palmer. And then in early 2020, I think in February, great time to, to hit the road <laughs> um, in the Northeast. I'm just doing a few concerts with um, the guys from and, and women from uh, the Zigsaw record. And yeah, John O'Gallagher is coming over from England. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for that. We're playing just a couple of shows, playing in New York, and we're playing in Connecticut and in Boston. So, And what do you, what's the live experience going to look like for this record? I have no idea, man. <laughs> no clue. That's what, that's what I'm nervously stressing about over the next few months. Just in terms of, I mean, it's a lot of music. Logistically, I'm trying to figure out how to get through the music without pauses for with the electronics and, and page turns for everybody. And so, um, but anyway, it'll sound like the record, basically. I mean, it's one piece of music, so it'll be, you know, there won't be any breaks. Uh, it'll be one set length and you'll hear the melody and then you'll hear each one of these sections sort of go by with different combinations of improvisers playing beautiful stuff because <laughs> they're super bad. So, yeah, it should sound like the record, I hope. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous about it. I'm nervous about it, I have to say, but super excited because Steve's composition is brilliant and it's inspiring to play with those people. Given your output uh, in recent years, I'm guessing that you also have your eyes set on the horizon and what might be coming next for you musically. Is that the case? Yeah. You asked me before about kind of like what inspires me to make a record, I guess. Yeah. At the moment, I don't really have anything planned for recording, which is also great. I think I might need a break. Also, just the the industry is so kind of messed up. I mean, I got like boxes of, I have a room of boxes, <laughs> CDs and vinyl and stuff. It's like just accumulating more CDs and and you know, other than uh, other than writers who require CD physical CDs, there's really no point in having them because nowhere in the world are people really buying enough CDs to make it worth manufacturing a thousand of them or more. Sure. Know? So. Uh, Things are changing, and in terms of recording like a CD or a record, I don't have any plans at the moment. I'm talking to somebody about maybe doing something in March next year, but I don't have a burning desire. I don't have a project. Uh, I would like to make another record with Rob Garcia for our Dead Composers Club. We have a couple ideas. I've always, I've always wanted to make a, a record of Hildegard von Bingen's music. 
I don't think there's a lot of that out there. And it was the first music I basically learned about when studying music history. So that is a possibility with Rob. I'm not sure. So anyway, to answer your question, moving forward, I don't have anything planned and I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to be performing more and, and I'm working on that for this next year, year and a half. So hopefully I'll be out there. Do you feel like there's pressure not to take a break? No. No, even on myself? Yeah, either on yourself or kind of imposed from the, the scene, quote-unquote. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't feel any pressure at all. I don't think that, I think that there's, people don't get excited about records anymore. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of stupid, but I think that, I think that people don't really get that excited about, I mean, I remember when I was in college, like Kurt Rosenwinkel came out with a new, a new recording. It was with Josh Redman. And it was like after, uh, I think it was his record after next step or something. And I remember being in my dorm and like, we all bought the physical CDs up at, um, I don't know. I can't remember what that store was. HMV or tower records or one of those. And like, we took out the liner notes and like listened to it all together. And that was like the last time where I feel like people got super excited about a, a recording, like a, a physical recording. But I mean, I don't know. I, I was driving from New York city yesterday up back to Boston and I was listening to the new Steve Lehman record and got super, super pumped. <laughs> Sounded great, you know, but I feel like for the most part, jazz records, like a jazz, jazz record is not that exciting to a lot of people, like to the jazz bass. So no, I don't have any pressure and that's good. And I don't have any pressure on myself. So to do it, maybe I should, I guess. I don't know. I don't think so. But, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I wasn't, in, I wasn't trying to imply that pressure is a good thing, but I, I, I just feel like there's a, you know, there's kind of a, what have you done for me lately mentality in a lot of the arts world and, you know, oh my gosh, am I still relevant? And, you know, when's the last time I put something new out? And a lot of that I feel right. to me very manufactured. Um, and, you know, as you said, not representative of what people want, more representative of some sort of ladder climbing I impulse uh, among people oh, in the cultural, no cultural way. world. Yeah. yeah, not for me. I mean, where is there to go? Right, exactly. You know, <laughs> exactly. You can climb that I mean, ladder, but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the arts. You know, it's like, look. I mean, there's only there's one reason to make make music, and that's like you know to to do it because you you want to badly. And I just I don't have a project that I really am dying to make right now, and therefore I don't have any. I mean, if I if there was a project I really wanted to do, and like. I couldn't do it for some reason that you know, something was holding me back. And then I would be super bummed and I'd be putting pressure on myself. But no, there's, there's no, um, no other reason to, to have that pressure.
my guest for the show has been Noah Preminger. We were talking, although there are many albums to talk about, we were talking primarily about uh, his most recent one, Zigsaw, Music of Steve Lampert. I'll uh, just remind folks again that there's another interview with Noah in the archives and also one with Steve. Uh, Noah, it's been just a pleasure to talk with you again, and uh, I really enjoy what you do musically and hope you'll come back. Thanks, Jason. And, and I just want to say quickly, thank you for documenting what other musicians are doing um not just at one point in their lives but over the course of their careers um i actually have a radio show myself and and starting to accumulate interviews just like like you have done a lot of and it's i think it's really important to be able to see into the lives of the players um so anyway i know this is incredibly time consuming and it's huge passion project and and you do a beautiful job and thanks man i I appreciate appreciate it thank you very much What you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/slash join. Thanks to this week's guest, Noah Preminger. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. You'll find them at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Vrabel for the logo. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh. You can follow it on Instagram at the Jazz Session. I post a clip from the archives each weekday at 1 p.m. on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. You can subscribe to the newsletter by clicking on the newsletter link at thejazzsession.com. Next week, my guest will be Jane Monheit. So come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.